Welcome to another episode of the No Money But Dreams podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest, and I'm really looking forward to the episode. Marissa, if you could um, introduce yourself a little bit, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, fab. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really looking forward to the discussion. So yeah, sure. My name's Marisa Kamal. Um, I moved to Dubai two and a half years ago um, for a career, well, for a continuation of my corporate career um, in finance, which I've been in for the last 15, 16 years. Um, I've lived in Latin America, Europe, London, and now, of course, uh, the Middle East. I decided to leave everything that I knew in October last year to focus on my own business, yeah. which is um, an executive coach and also a diversity, equity and inclusion consultancy, which is all built around this snazzy digital tool, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, well, that's that's really exciting. I, I think uh, especially the diversity and inclusion part uh, here in the region is something that more and more people are waking up to. And you came in in an interesting time, kind of like covid when it happened? Yeah, exactly. Just post-COVID. So we, yeah. well, COVID was still ongoing, but we just missed the the third or the second or the third lockdown um, in the UK. So we yeah. arrived in January 2021. And I remember feeling incredibly guilty about posting anything on social media with yeah. the beach and the sun, just thinking of people um, back home. But yeah, it's been amazing here. Such a, a cool place for opportunity either in a corporate career or doing your own thing and just lifestyle generally is is amazing yeah exactly so you're not thinking of going back no way no way <laughs> <laughs> exactly so um now you're here and you said that eight months ago you kind of left your corporate uh, mm -hmm. job and you were very successful you're very humble about it but you were very successful in your corporate job and now you decide to do something on your own how did this transition work out for you and, and why did you do it? Yeah, so when I left um, my corporate job, I'd, ha I'd had a baby and I'd, I'd been quite ill as well before. And, and, mm -hmm. and we won't talk about it, but kind of a near-death experience. And it gave me just a, I guess, a new lease of life. Mm -hmm. And I, I really rethought what I wanted to do and, and what I wanted to be known for. So whilst in my corporate career, yes, I was very successful. Um, for me, success, I've always been really driven by people. And I wanted to do something that I could impact cultural change on like a, a much larger scale than that. Mm -hmm. So I really took some time to dig deep and think about what I want to do. Um, I actually trained as a coach a few years ago because I was thinking about leaving corporate world then. But then the pull of Dubai brought me here. Yeah. And I'm glad, you know, I'm definitely glad I came for that. And then... Since then, I've just, yeah, I've just reflected and, and building the DEI consultancy is a, a long-term passion of mine. And what better place to do it than Dubai, you know, the land of opportunity. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so many people, I feel, came here in the latest wave to Dubai post-COVID. And um, what, what, what do you feel like? What, what do you see? Who do you see coming to Dubai in this wave? Yeah, it's so interesting, actually, because before I moved here, I used to think it was kind of like we have a British term called like white boys, you know, like yep. a bit, I don't know, just chances, like trying the luck and doing really well out here, actually. You know, mm -hmm. Dubai like accepts and has opportunities for everyone, no matter what you do. Yep. Um, and so what I've seen more recently, though, is a real influx of uh, tech companies, tech people, whether that's like 
computer science, cybersecurity, crypto firms. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a real place to like start up and try stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I guess, entrepreneurs and there's various, I mean, Dubai's been very smart, right? So you can have a, a virtual license here and not even need to not even need to live here and base your company here. So it's incredible. It's just so much opportunity from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And then I think what you've got um, in addition is diversification of nationalities. So less so. I mean, of course, there's a, a huge Middle Eastern presence here. And as you would expect, is incredibly important. But we're seeing more Europeans, Africans, North Americans. And I think that's just based on the opportunity. You know, the world is watching the Middle East and particularly the UAE, in addition to senior management and talent in the corporate world and, and people sort of looking at Hong Kong and Singapore in a different light. You know, I've got friends that live in Singapore and Hong Kong, and when they come here, they're like, man, you've got so much space, you can drive, it's great for kids, you know, yeah. the work-life balance is good. Whereas in Asia, you get stung with the aligning to London and US time zones. Like, here, it's perfect. Yeah. So I think it has changed. The demographic of people coming here and opportunities presented have, have changed quite seriously over the last five years, but particularly since um, COVID and and of course, just people working here remotely. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, through that, with more diversity of thought and people coming from all sorts of different mm -hmm. places uh, globally, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, there was always this issue that uh, people were complaining about talent pool and the talent pool not being big enough. And I think in tech that still to a certain degree is still true mm -hmm. and they're still trying to bring in more people um, to fill those uh, kind of important roles. But... With this, I mean, one of the things that you can maybe uh, talk to since you're an expert in it, you know, the diversity aspect of companies that are now adopting diversity a lot more. Um, what, what do you see changing here and how does that impact uh, the, the bottom line? Yeah, so from a diversity, equity and inclusion perspective, it's like completely known, proven facts. There's been lots of reports by McKinsey on this, but companies in the top quartile for gender diversity are 25% more profitable than those companies in the lower quartile for diversity. Yeah. It's the same for ethnic diversity, actually. In fact, it's more so. They're 36% more profitable. And there's loads of data around innovation revenue as well related to that. So it, when I think of Dubai and you think it's 90% expat, yeah. You know, and the mix of the mix of cultures here. It's not just like one group, one group of nationality. You know, where I used to um, work, I think there was something like 160 ethnic nationalities in the organization. Yeah. And if you can, like, take the time to understand your talent and different points of views and perspectives and therefore really understand what it means from your customer base. Yeah. It's incredible the difference you can make. Yeah, and I think this is so important here in, in Dubai. You have mm -hmm. to speak your customer's language. I mean, you know, we can communicate in English, but if someone is from the same country as you and speaks the, the lang speaks your language, you just immediately trust them better and uh, get much closer and can do better business. I, I can give you a quick example of, of my um, you know background. I used to have a Russian, a Lebanese, an Iraqi, a Filipino, a Nigerian... <laughs> If um, Palestinian, 
then I'm half German, half Syrian. <laughs> so, you know, in an office with like 25 people, we had so many different nationalities and that just helped us out in so many different ways, whether it's talking to other companies or directly to clients. Mm -hmm. We always had an edge and uh, over other people because we just understood better. And, and I feel that is something now that the bigger companies here are investing mm -hmm. more into. And a lot of the smaller companies, you know, it's just how Dubai is everyone comes from anywhere and you gotta hire people to get diversity and and grow yeah 100 and it's natural as well to align to people that look like you and talk like you and you have to kind of put the effort in to mm. understand different people's perspectives and point of views and get to know people on a personal level and and, and why do you bond which is you know when i think back to my time in london that's not always the case. No. You know, it's like who you know, oh, I went to school with this guy. He is he looks like me, he speaks like yeah. me, let me hire this guy instead of even going through a proper recruitment mm -hmm. process. Right? And I I hate that. And yeah. here, you know, if you want to have diversity, you can definitely get it. Yeah, exactly. And I think even from a, a friendship perspective, because it's quite transient as well, people are open to having you in their home, you know, and it's all centered around food, isn't it? Yes. You know, and people from different cultures, well, I mean, uh, British, we're less so <laughs> present you with some fish and chips or like a British version of a curry, but um, people bond over food. Yeah. And I love that. And yeah. so you really get to know people quite quickly around, for me, around the dinner table, you know, yeah. so your friendship group is diverse. Yeah. And it's just so enriching. Yeah. And it's the same within organizations. And I've really seen that it's a, it's a proper melting pot. And with that comes innovation and ultimately the bottom line revenue. Funny that you talk about food. I always say this, uh, you know, in, in the UK, you go to the pub, right? Yeah. But if you don't go to the pub, you're kind of like left out, which is, you know, I don't drink. So that's what happened to mm -hmm. me. But here, it doesn't matter what nationality you come from. In Dubai, everyone goes out to eat. Yeah. Right. And you can bond over food and everyone is open to try someone else's cuisine and, you know, go to new restaurants. I mean, we're, we're spoiled for choice now. I feel like as I remember in 2021, right after COVID, a thousand three hundred new restaurants opened in Dubai wow. in one year. Right. A lot closed down, but mm -hmm. it's just so much new variety because when people come into Dubai and they say, oh, all these restaurants are working. Well, let me also try one and, and make one. Right? Yeah. And uh, it just, yeah, we're, we're spoiled for choice. And yeah, this aspect bonding over food is definitely something that's yeah. dear to my heart. Yeah, and me. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything, any such thing as a bad meal in Dubai, honestly. Exactly. Like, you yeah. can go and you can get the best curry at, like, a Bangladeshi restaurant in Karama or Satwa, you know? like For 10 dirhams. For 10 dirhams, yeah. <laughs> or you can do the opposite. You can go to, like, the New Atlantis and go to Nobu and you can, yeah. you can have that side of life as well. But, I mean, you get the best kebabs on the street. Yeah. It's so, so good, and I love that. Yeah, and now you've got Michelin stars here mm -hmm. and, you know, like... This, the city is progressing. Yeah. That's definitely true. All right, let's bring it back to kind of what, what are you doing now with your consultancy and, and where do you see yourself in the next kind of two, three years growing that business to what, what are your aspirations there? Yeah, so the consultancy um, Inclusive Impact Partners, mm -hmm. uh, which I've co-founded, um, is all around it's bringing diversity, equity and inclusion to life. Mm -hmm. So quite often people talk about it and it gets lost in translation a lot of the time because it becomes quite fluffy mm -hmm. and a bit of a, it can be seen as a bit of a nice to have. And you tend to get certain people within organizations really passionate about it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And that might not be the board and the exco. It tends to have be people that have lived experiences of, you know, adversity and having to overcome that. So what we've created is a tool which effectively um, we host on our site or we can bring it into organization, plugs into um, other HR applications. So it's simple to use, but it has a series of KPIs that are and metrics and initiatives that are defined dependent on the industry. So if it could be banking, it could be government, it could be retail, it could be tourism, mm -hmm. and it goes all the way up the value chain of the organization. And those metrics are all based around diversity and equity, equity and inclusion in some mm -hmm. way. And they all roll up to show you how it impacts the bottom line. So if you switch X, what does that mean in terms of revenue, customer satisfaction, and all the things that everybody in the organization cares about? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, okay, it's, it's nice to have. And of course, it's the right thing to do. But it also drives the bottom line, which is the most important thing. And within that, we also have um, an emiratization readiness program, mm -hmm. which, as you know, is a key priority for the UAE right now, is to get more Emiratis into the private sector, which is incredibly important. You know, like we're in the UAE and we should have proper representation within the private sector. Mm -hmm. And again, aligning to our customers and culturally being able to grow in the right way. Mm -hmm. For me, Emirati should be at the helm of any um, company, private sector or public. So mm -hmm. within the tool, we feed in emiratization readiness assessment to say, you know, how ready are you? And quite often companies, what we see is they bring in Emirati talent and don't foster it and it doesn't stay. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the whole premise of the tool. And and where I see it now. So we're working with a couple of um, companies on implementation and it's been yeah, it's been fantastic. And you can really see because we deal with direct with the board and the exco and you can see this kind of light bulb moment of, oh, yeah, this really works. Mm. You know, so what we want to do is build it out on on scale and, and with COP um, here this year as well is something that we're looking to take there as, as one of the key pillars under sustainability and, and economic growth. Hmm. Very interesting. I mean, what I really love about this is that you come with data and analytics yeah. to prove even the biggest skeptics that, mm -hmm. you know, this is something that they need to take serious. And uh, that that's a unique approach because a lot of people... They come in here and, you know, they do the fluffy part, <laughs> but they're not able uh, to to back it up with data and, and have a tech tool where it's very black and white, where people can see it. And I think that's uh, probably due to your career in, in uh, corporate where you know what those excos want to see. Yeah, <laughs> so I know how to yeah. pull the heartstrings and I've been doing it, I guess, like impacting from the inside my whole career because mm. this is all the stuff that I'm passionate about, you know, and I'm always banging the drum about it. And I just thought, how can I do this on a bigger scale? And I had a vision and uh, my partner in, in this is a proper techie. You know, he's ex-equity partner from KPMG running mm. tech and data. So, like, it, I feel like it's a powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and I bring, I guess, the softer, fluffy side. And mm -hmm. he's just been able to completely bring it to life. Mm -hmm. And when he talks me through the tool, I'm like, whoa, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's amazing. I'm super proud of what we've achieved so far, but really looking forward to what the future holds and, and what we can do for the UAE. Mm -hmm. And so your focus is now on the UAE or are you also looking at other 
I mean, you have had a global career. Where, where else are you looking? So our focus is on um, the UAE. There's nothing here like this mm -hmm. at the moment. I've looked in into the UK and there's stuff that exists, but I would say it's definitely still on the fluffy side as well. But for me, the UAE is a great kind of like testing base mm -hmm. and an opportunity for us to really shape it and innovate because companies here are small enough as well that if you tweak something you really see the change quite quickly mm -hmm. we are um, in talks with some companies in Saudi as well but more around at this stage the nationalization element rather than the broader mm -hmm. diversity piece because they're obviously in a different space yeah um, and aligned to the Saudi 2030 vision and where they want to get to from a gender perspective is, yeah. is kind of where the focus is there mm -hmm. so we're in initial discussions and the moment we want to like stay middle east focused mm -hmm. um but whoever we talk to is like you know can you come and speak to us that sounds amazing yeah um equally with all of these things it's about funding and mm -hmm. i know how that process works mm -hmm. so it has to be a, a clear return on investment um, and you have to get the right people to buy into it from the top. But it's it's happening, and I feel like there'll be a big movement. And, in and this how space. do you usually uh, structure it? Do you start with a pilot, or do you sell a full program, or, or how does it work? So we start with a pilot, mm -hmm. and we run a demo, show people like how the tool works, mm -hmm. and then there tends to be a period where we're kind of cleaning up cleaning up the data with organizations, you know, big organizations and the way they store and hold data is quite inconsistent. So mm -hmm. we clean all that up and then we'll run a pilot within perhaps a smaller part of the business. So maybe we might start with something that's quite like operations or communications and marketing or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you quickly see the results in those departments and then we build out yeah. from there. And funny enough, this all sounds very exciting and very uh, hands-on and uh, time-consuming. You yep. still are an executive coach yeah. <laughs> and you run a lot of uh, things on that side as well. So tell me a little bit about executive coaching out here and uh, you know what kind of stuff have you seen and, and why are you doing this as well? Yeah, so the executive coaching side for me is all about, uh, so I was obviously a young managing director female managed to navigate like the corporate world quite successfully over a number of years but i really feel like that support lacks and it's not just females you mm. know it's different groups and and anyone can feel i don't know an imposter syndrome or confidence or have issues with boundary setting and all sorts of stuff and i just felt like i wanted to empower the next generation of leaders and what i want to see is Less, and I think this is quite old school, to be honest, but less kind of like authoritarian, you do it my way. It's more about leading authentically and leading empathetically. Mm -hmm. And so building that next generation of leaders to say, like, you don't have to do it like you've seen it being done. And it's definitely, you know, if you listen to the greats like Adam Grant, Simon Sinek, Brene Brown, mm. they're not authoritarian at all. They're saying like, Serve, it's all about servant leadership and, and what can I do for you as the team? And that really builds, again, quality, effective, efficient teams, improve the bottom line. So that's what I'm working with. And, and what have I seen here? Um, I see a lot of imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and I don't know, and boundary setting, I would say. And I don't know if that's because of 
the mix. It's difficult to kind of find your niche and it's harder to maybe, um, I guess, resonate with somebody else. So you look at the people around you and they're not like you. So maybe you don't kind of follow their leadership in the same way that you might have done traditionally because it's so different to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I work with a lot of clients on imposter syndrome. um, And with that, I kind of say, you know, like we go through their successes and achievements and sort of say, like, have you acknowledged, like, look at all this, you know, like, look at what you've done, you know, Mm. and, and how do you reflect on that? Do you think that was a good job? And it didn't come from nowhere, you know, and then actively seeking feedback from people as well. And feedback is, you know, feedback is a gift, good or bad. It's a gift. Yeah. And it's an opportunity to grow and change. And then again, the the boundary setting piece I find people pleasing is big here. Mm-hmm. And it's big elsewhere as well. And, you know, I've been a, a people pleaser in the past and I have to ask myself, why are you doing it? You know, why do you say yes to all this stuff? Why are you working 12 hour days, but begrudging it? Because actually it should be Dave's work in accounts or whatever it is, yeah. you know? Um, and and that does, for me... Does that have to do with job security and people are not secure or feel not secure enough that they're going to keep their job because there's a lot of talent coming into the region and, you know... That I think so. And there is a lot of... Uh, restructuring, Mm. particularly right now in organizations, it's all about like cost and growth. You know, we're still coming out from still recovering from COVID Mm -hmm. and the cost to income ratio in companies has has dropped. So it's about getting that back. And yeah, but what I would say to that is what you're doing is you're actually giving like 20% to everything and you're not giving 100%. Focus. Focus. Mm. And therefore it's inauthentic. You know, so if your manager says, oh, can you manage this? And you just say yes. What you're actually doing is you're just weakening the quality of all of your work mm. and you're better off saying no. And just generally boundary setting. I think if you if you don't set clear boundaries, it's quite inauthentic. Mm-hmm. It's inauthentic in friendships as well. You know, you say yes to everything, but you don't really want to be there. Yeah. And then you begrudge being there. Yeah. Or you might have like friends that consider you close and you're not actually that close and it's just because you haven't set that boundary Mm. so it's not healthy for anybody i mean some of the things that you discuss seem like people that haven't got as much experience and are maybe mid-level kind of managers tell me a little bit like what kind of level do you work with all the way to the top okay all the way to the top but it's very different style yeah i think when it's kind of senior director level which is the like i guess i don't know 50 percent, 60 percent of my clients Mm -hmm. sit in um that space i give a bit more mentoring Mm -hmm. so you know i might say like oh when it comes to boundary settings i try the like some people say these three things work Mm -hmm. maybe you want to do that but then when it comes to like managing director and above that's like way more challenging on perspectives Mm -hmm. and the sorts of questions you ask are like way more I guess my style goes a bit more old school like when I was in a corporate environment board exco whatever just way more assertive and to the point Mm -hmm. and it's amazing when you see a shift in perspective one thing that uh, I've noticed is you know the higher you up uh, or the higher you're going up the more important trust is yeah. Um, and it's not so much about your day to day and, uh, you know, what you're delivering, but it's the trust between individuals. And, you know, usually 
head offices are not necessarily here. They're abroad if you work for a big mm-hmm. corporate and you have to span that across, uh, trust across regions. What what would you say to someone like this to to kind of help them build those relationships? Like f- for me, it was always important to travel a lot and actually spend mm-hmm. face-to-face time because that's the hardest thing to do when you're always just on the phone, even if you've got Zoom and all that kind of stuff. So how do you help someone kind of build trust in the organization for him for himself to then go the next step in his career? Yeah, so it's a, it's incredibly important and that's what great leaders are built on. And when there's no trust, you just have a fear culture and you don't get the best out of people, you know, it's not efficient and people don't speak up. So again, you're not listening to their ideas. Um, how do How would I recommend you go about building trust? For me, it's about wherever possible, finding that common ground between you and individuals and as a team. And you can do that through various team exercises. And but it's it's more on, I think, the simple stuff as well, like walking the floor Mm. if it's in the floor, Mm -hmm. saying hello to everybody, not showing up with a different mood every day. And people think, oh, like, oh, like, you know, they're going to ask for something needs to be done immediately. And it's really important. You know, we've all been in those situations where they're like the CEO wants it now. You know, like, okay, well. I've got like 50 other things to do, so that doesn't work for me. But I I think the big thing is around transparency, being really clear on vision and strategy and how you're going to get there. And then from a transparency perspective, talking about that throughout and when things mess up, why did they mess up? Not pointing the finger at all, but looking at the root cause and addressing that issue, but doing it all transparently. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of leaders fall down when they are under stress and then all of a sudden they shut down. They stop being the people person that they aspire to be mm. and need to be, and then people become scared. And to do it um, cross borders is tough. And travel's been clamped down from like a cost perspective. Mm. And I would say you know, you've got to give back as well. So I do favors for people all the time in different parts of different parts of the group. And then when you need it, you can you can pull on that as well. But just regular check ins, just casual check ins to say, like, how are you doing, mate? Yeah. You know, how's it going over there? And it doesn't necessarily need a work agenda. Mm. And I always find those meetings are the most powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Creating buy in from from your teams and uh, talking about stuff that isn't necessarily work related, especially if you're an expert here and everyone in your team is also an expert. So they're going through the same challenges and the same joys as you are. Right. So there is definitely something with common ground that you can always relate to Mm -hmm. with your with your teams. And I feel sometimes, you know, you get much closer and you get them to like I've got one team member that would go. He, he works in social media. He's gone live on TikTok at 10.30 at night and stayed till 1 a.m. With, with another influencer, right? Imagine doing that in the, or asking someone in the UK or anywhere else to do this. Yeah. <laughs> good luck, you yeah. know, but we've got great relationship and good buy-in and then people will do that, yeah. you know? So, yeah, that's, that's very interesting how culturally here, if you've got buy-in, you can get mm. away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, when I take over a new team or join something new, I always give a, my first meetings with anyone, it's all personal. Mm. You know, I don't talk shop for quite a long time, actually, because I'm trying yeah. to figure it out in my own head as well. And I give so much about my personal life. Yeah. You know, I tell everybody, like, 
my journey, where I've been, like my home set up. And then I talk about like what I'm passionate about. I always talk about food, always talk about food. And then everyone's like, you know, I'd be on a big broadcast and everyone's sending me DMs like, come to my house for dinner. Like, oh, yeah. this is the best restaurant. You have to go here. And that for me is like what builds trust. Yeah. And I consistently walk the floor. And to be honest, it's not for other people. It's for me. Like I thrive, that's like the type of personality I have. Naturally, yeah. I thrive off that. Yeah. But if you don't, then you got to do it anyway. Yeah. What what else do you want people to know about you or what haven't I asked you that is something that, you know, you feel passionate about maybe Dubai or, or the work that you do that people should know about? So what do I feel passionate about Dubai? Let's let's go with um, let's go with Dubai, I think. And I'll tell you a quick story about um, I actually did a real estate course here, like quite qualified as a, a real estate agent. Okay. But what not because. What are you I, selling me? No, no, no. <laughs> I was thinking of doing this like tech startup in uh, estate agency, but I just thought like not for me. Don't really have the expertise. But I went on that course just to learn about the industry, like a few days, mm. learn about the industry and how it operates here. And this is just reflecting on how much opportunity there is in Dubai. I remember they were talking about you know you've got all these like everybody was maybe like 15 years younger than me. And they're all like here, like eager to go to earn some real dollar in Dubai. Yeah. And they were talking about commissions. And there was an older guy there who's been an agent here for quite a long time. And, and one of the younger girls said, she was like, you what? Like I could be earning like, I don't know what it was, like $100,000 a year. And I just remember him going like, Habibi, baby, <laughs> you're in Dubai. And I was just like, that is like, it's so funny because I just feel like that about Dubai in generally, like yeah. across the board, there's just so much opportunity and so much appetite from other people to help you. Mm. You know, like even when it comes to podcasting and things like that, there's so many people doing podcasts and like, oh yeah, come on this, talk about this. And and like everybody's into the conversation. We haven't talked about that yet. You have your own podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> check it out. We'll be in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, how we connected uh, the first time. That, that was so funny. Your, your husband followed my podcast, watched it and said, hey, we should we should communicate. And we, yeah. <laughs> you know, hit it off straight away. And uh, it makes makes perfect sense. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's true. People are very, very helpful here. And um, I always say, like, when you come to Dubai, um, you know, when I came, I had the same salary as I had back in the UK, mm -hmm. but I didn't pay the tax. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's that's a starting ground. But when you grow in your career, the upside is yours here. Yeah. Right. In Dubai, the upside is yours, which is very, very different than anywhere else. If you get a promotion back home, you get a couple hundred quid more or a couple thousand more, but your expenses keep growing as well, right? So yeah. the upside is never really yours. Here, if you really go go for it and you hit it big, then the upside mm -hmm. is yours. And that's that's what is amazing about Dubai, whether it's in real estate or in many yeah. other kind of uh, places yeah no it's incredible and that's when I made the decision I was thinking like I could go to a, another corporate job and do the same thing or I could start my own thing I was like it's so much easier to do it here because mm. you don't have the same tax burden mm. you know and that makes a huge huge difference yeah so yeah it's just the land of opportunity yes well what a great sentence to to finish the uh, our chat uh, with thank you so much for coming on to the show and um, check out 
all the different things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's some amazing stuff in there. The transition from the corporate world to now doing your own thing and not just one, but a podcast, executive <laughs> coaching and a startup. That's just uh, fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.